When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Over the line, or closing, he's in. A backhander and a save by Tony Esposito. Stan Mikita was a, a small guy, very cocky in those days. A right hand by Magnuson, and he puts that guy down. Magnuson trying to tear his hair out. NBC Chicago's James Naveau. Odyssey Chicago Hockey Insider, Jay Zawoski. No more! Hawks win! Hawks win again! Chris Jelios in overtime! Part of Blue Wire Podcast. Came off the boards, he shoots, he's going down to the Tays! A game-winning goal! The Hawks live to fight another day! Rolling back, circle of drives, get it from The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Chicago's going to be in last place forever. Play the center for Tays, you got to break away! Triple Threat Sports, Fry the Coop, and by the Sins In-Law Group, let's drop the puck. Welcome into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. It's Jay Zawoski with you here. James Naveau is on news duty. He's on the news desk at NBC, obviously covering uh, the big Chicago Teachers Union decision tonight so it will be just me reacting to the hawks 4-3 loss in overtime to the colorado avalanche a lot to get to so i'll get right to it make sure you're following us on all of our social medias we're on twitter at madhouse pod instagram madhouse underscore pod we're on facebook and madhouse hockey pod and we've got our t public shop we've got our patreon we've got all sorts of stuff going on so make sure you check that link in our social media bios for all things madhouse podcast uh, set it off the hop. Hawks lose 4-3 in overtime to the Colorado Avalanche in one hell of an entertaining hockey game. And coming off, you know, two games in a row where the Hawks lost at a combined rate of 11-2. As this game was approaching today, I was kind of getting a little nervous about it because this could very well have been an absolute onslaught from Colorado. And that's how the game started. The Hawks were down two nothing very quickly into the game. 13 minutes in, it was two nothing. And the first period was all Colorado 14 to five in shots on goal. And you started to look at this thing like, okay, well, when the smoke clears, are we looking at another, you know, five, one, six, one sort of a situation, but the Hawks answered back with a really strong second period. Jonathan Taves scores his fourth of the season on a net front 
scramble. Mackenzie Entwistle doing a lot of the hard work on that one. Uh, but Taves knocks in the rebound. So end of two, it's two to one. You're feeling a little bit better, but you're thinking to yourself, they just played probably their best p- period in a long time, and they're still losing this game. How are they going to get back in it? Well, third period begins. Colorado takes a pair of early penalties, and Alex DeBrink gets scores on the five on three, then scores on the five on four. We're tied at three. Things are looking okay. Pretty even third period. Then uh, 11 minutes into the, almost 12 minutes actually, into the third period, Eric Johnson ties it. Then overtime happens. And look, (laughs) Jonathan Taves almost scores on a vintage drive to the net from Jonathan Taves. Puck gets knocked away. He's got two defenders on him, but he corrals it at the last second. Darcy Kemper's down and out. Taves gets the puck, shoots it. It hits the post. Moments later, Kale McCarr is one-on-one with Kirby Doc along the boards, dips his shoulder, does a spinorama, heads to the net, and then roofs a backhand shot over Marc-Andre Fleury. And I said it on Twitter, like Ron Burgundy, I'm not even mad. That's amazing. It was one of the best goals I've seen all season long and one of the best goals I've seen in my life. Kale McCarr, arguably... The best defenseman in the NHL, 23 years old. That was his 14th goal of the season. 14 goals on the season. For comparison, Alex DeBrinkett, who has scored 25% of the Hawks' goals this season, now probably more with his two tonight. I'm bad at math. Someone do that math for me. He's got 20. Kale McCarr has 14 goals. None prettier than the one he scored in overtime. And I'm, you know, I, I wrote about it on my sub stack. I talked about it a little bit on the last podcast with James. I'm just having trouble mustering anger because this is just what this team is. We know right now that they're just overmatched. They just don't have the talent to hang. And if they don't play a mistake-free 60 minutes, most nights they're not going to win. And this was a good example. And, you know, you give up two goals in the first period to a good team, and look, you can't... Colorado's going to get their goals. They average over four goals a game as it is. You know they're going to score. And overall, I'm pretty pleased with the way the Hawks played. When you look at the talent gap between the two teams and the expectations between the two teams... The Hawks held their own first period was brutal, but then the Hawks flipped it the next period and took it to Colorado. So you sort of even those things out, right? They cancel out Um, third period tilted towards the avalanche for sure, but they were trailing, right? So score effects play a role there. They're trailing for a, a portion of the third overall, a pretty solid effort. I thought, but I think, is that where we're at now? Moral victories, is that the thing we're at? And and I've seen a lot of people talking about this lately, and they mentioned it during the game about like the future of this team and the future of Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane and is it time to move on and, and all these sort of things. And you're trying to draw yourself a map to this team being competitive again to the point where they're legitimate playoff contenders, maybe not cup favorites, 
but a team that can get into the playoffs and win a round or two, right? Somebody like the Minnesota Wild or the Vancouver Canucks last year. You know, like a not great, probably not a cup favorite, but a team that can make some noise in the playoffs and maybe upset somebody here and there. I don't know if they can get back to that point in the time remaining on Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane's contracts. And I don't want to get too far ahead. And I know when James and I do another full podcast, I want to make sure this is a big part of it. Stan Bowman left this team in shambles because if Kyle Davidson has any sort of sense at all, if he's still in charge of the trade deadline, he's trading Marc-Andre Fleury. He should be trading Calvin DeHaan. He should be open to trading almost anyone on this team. The one guy I would say is 95% untouchable is Alex Dabrinkit. The rest of them, and that includes Kirby Doc, they're not going to trade Seth Jones either because you made that huge investment. You're paying him all that money. You're thinking of him as your marquee player for the next generation of Hawks, and I'm fine with that. But aside from Dabrinkit and Jones, I'm listening on everybody. That includes Patrick Kane. That includes Jonathan Taze because what's the way out of this? Draft picks. What did Stan Bowman trade to acquire Seth Jones? Two first-round picks. And unless the Hawks are a number one or two pick this year, they're not protected. That's the only way they get protection is if it's number one or number two. And maybe we can conspiracy theorists can kind of hope that the league does something to tip <laughs> to tip things in the Hawks favors. Cause a lot of people thought that happened with Patrick Kane. I don't believe that stuff, but who knows stranger things have happened. Um, but the only way out of this is to really kind of actually rebuild because there's no player they're going to add that's going to get them over the hump, right? Like if you, okay, you're going to trade Lucas Reichel or somebody at the deadline to bring in a veteran. There's no veteran that's going to get this team over the hump. And the answer is trade everybody, get picks, trade vets for young guys who you, that you've scouted and you have a good feeling about, right? Trust your pro scouts. Cause they've actually done a decent job. When you look at, especially some of the guys they've brought in, from overseas, like your Kubeliks and your Panarins and your, you know, to a lesser extent, Eric Gustafson. But look, Gustafson is a guy who's had a pretty decent NHL career, far from a perfect player, but he was brought over from overseas as a free agent. The Hawks have a knack for finding those guys. That's their pro scouting department. And see if you can find a, a young diamond in the rough who maybe another team's giving up on, you know, that you think has something left in the tank or something more to prove. I just don't see a way out of this funk without a solid commitment to a real rebuild. And, you know, I don't know. It's almost crazy to think about. Kane and Taves probably have more value at the next trade deadline because anyone that would trade for them this year 
is on the hook for next year's $10.5 million salary. And there are very few teams that can take that on. And the Hawks are not and should not be in a position to say, yeah, let's let's even up the salary. We'll take back another bad contract. Enough of that. So realistically, if the Hawks want to maximize the value in return for Kane and Taves, it would be at next year's deadline because those contracts become low. They become more attractive to the opponent or to the, to the other teams rather, and they're more affordable. And then when the year's over, they're clearly just rentals. And then, you know, they're not on the hook for anything unless they want to be and they want to resign Kane or Taves. I just don't, I don't know. If you've got another idea on how the Hawks can get out of this, let me know. MadhousePod at gmail.com. Because as you look at this roster, you've got some young players that you, you kind of like. But where is that next generational star? It doesn't appear to be Kirby Doc. And we've been on this topic a lot. And this game sort of showcased that where Kirby Doc's got a two-on-one. And gets caught from behind and no scoring chance happens. That can't happen when you're the number three pick. At this point in his career, and I know he's only 20. I get it. But at this point in his career, he's got he's to have a better sense of NHL timing. And time and space. Because he does not seem to get that he's not going to have the time he had when he was with the Kamloops Blazers. Or the uh, Blazers? What hell team was he on? Saskatoon Blades. He has to realize he's not going to have the time and space he had when he was with the Saskatoon Blades. That's not realistic. This is the NHL. And when we talk about not rushing prospects, as Stan Bowman has done, he can learn that timing in Rockford. And hopefully that's the plan with Lucas Reichel is let him play down there, let him figure out the timing of things, and then when he's ready, he can come up and contribute right away. And I'm not giving up on Kirby Doc. I'm not. But I think we're in the part of his career now, what is he, about 110 games or so, where we can really start thinking, you know what, this is probably not number three overall pick material. But as I wrote in my sub stack, and if you want to check that out, I tweeted it the other day. Um, I appreciate anyone who subscribes and reads that. It would be wonderful if you can give me a cup of coffee a month for my Hawks writing. The problem is anyone that can be held responsible for the shape of the Blackhawks is fired or has, air quotes, resigned, like Stan Bowman. So now, can Kyle Davidson fix this? Does he have the authority to fix this? That remains to be seen. I want to tell everybody about our friends at Fry the Coop and FryTheCoop.com, the best Nashville hot chicken you'll ever have. Oaklawn, Elmhurst, Westtown, Prospect Heights, and Tinley Park. Come get your happiness at Fry the Coop. Check out their menu, FryTheCoop.com. If you're up for dining in, probably don't, but you can. <laughs> Just be careful. Wear your mask. Wear like 27 masks, whatever you got to do. But uh, if you choose to dine in, they've got a great craft beer selection but it travels very well. Before the Tinley Park uh, location opened, I used to bring it home from Oakland to Homewood, and it was perfectly fresh when I got home after, what, 25 minutes or whatever it was. So it travels really well, so you don't have to worry about that. Go check them out, frythecoop.com. When we come back, 
there are a few guys that I thought played very well in this game against Colorado. And uh, before we wrap up, I want to make sure I give them their kudos. We'll be right back with more on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. It's the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Jay Zawoski flying solo after the Hawks' 4-3 overtime loss to the Colorado Avalanche. And I did not expect the first segment to get as negative and as broad as it did. I think when I don't have James here to rein me in, I kind of just let my thoughts go. So sorry about that. Let's get back to the game uh, from Tuesday night. There's two guys uh, that I think have been playing better lately. Um, Number one, I think Philip Kurashev has sort of started to find his form again. Um, he's become a little more effective on both ends of the ice. Still not really racking up the points by any means, uh, but I've liked what I've seen from him lately. I think his game has improved. He's become more of a factor. You know, you're seeing him make more plays and and those sort of things. Uh, 1836 of ice time, uh, three shot attempts, attempts, none of them on goal, um, but another strong effort. And Mackenzie Entwistle, with to me his best game as a pro by far. I liked his game a lot in this one. I really did. I think he played uh, with some confidence. You can see he's starting to um, bring his offensive game along a little bit. You can see he's starting to feel that a little bit. Um, Confidence with the puck. Uh, He's got better hands than I think he gets credit for. He played 18 minutes in this game too. Uh, Picked up an assist on the Taves goal that I mentioned earlier. Three hits. Uh, I like how Mackenzie Entwistle's game is going, and I know... Everyone knows I'm the president of the Josiah Slavin fan club, um, but Entwistle in there for him in this game, and I think he should stick for a while based on how he's played lately. The other thing I want to mention, too, I saw Scott Powers from The Athletic post this on his Twitter, Kirby Doc and Jonathan Taves uh, working on faceoffs, and you see that Doc is really working hard to improve at that, and that's encouraging. And I think in this game... He won his first six faceoffs and then lost 14 of the next 16. So at the end of the night, his faceoff percentage is 36%, which is where it's been for an unfortunately, you know, a lot of the season. Um, but it started strong. So hopefully working with Jonathan Taves, who is a master at faceoffs, obviously a 57% for Taves in this game. Dylan Strome, by the way, won 63% of his just reps, you know, DeMar DeRozan, who's been lighting it up for the Bulls, uh, missed some free throws even after hitting the game winner and took 250 free throws after the game. Those are the things that make the difference. And when Jonathan Taze was a young player, he was struggling with faceoffs too. And he was hell-bent on getting better at faceoffs. And he worked his ass off to get better at faceoffs. And it's paid off and he's become one of the best faceoff men in the game. So kudos to Kirby Doc for working on it. Kudos to him for acknowledging it's a shortcoming. It's very easy to see. And I think we're starting to see a collective criticism of Doc. We're seeing things written about him. We're seeing his, you know, seeing him questioned for the first time from mainstream media. And I think that's going to have an impact on him. And it's good to see him responding positively and working at it and not getting frustrated or being defensive or whatever. 
But man, I, I we just need to see his game take that next step. And even though he's only 20, I feel like based on how many games he's played, he should be farther along than he is. Again, I'm not calling him a bust yet. I'm not there yet. I still think there's a lot of room for growth. And when you look at the guys selected ahead of him in that draft, his numbers are right there with those guys. It's just, it's hard to be patient when he's played as many games in the league as he has. And his development is so integral to the next generation of the Blackhawks. If Kirby Doc is not a number one center, they're going to be a very average team for a very long time. Unless, like I said, they fall into some crazy draft luck where they're picking number one and number two. And look, if they do end up trading a bunch of the veterans, there's a real chance that towards the end of the year, with all those guys gone, they're going to just fall out, fall apart. And, and maybe they will have better odds at landing a top one or two pick. But we're not there yet. And it's just, man, I just, maybe I'm too obsessed with Kirby Doc, but I feel like I have to be. Because if he doesn't work out, the Hawks are in deep, deep trouble for the foreseeable future. Fortunately, Alex DeBrinkett has become the player um, we hoped he would be. And um, man, he is lighting it up. And that's a dude who, not only is he scoring goals, he's working his ass off. Skating hard, playing hard, playing in all ends, playing in all situations. Um, that's a guy that could be wearing the C uh, when Jonathan Taves departs his team. We'll see. we got some time before that happens, I think. But thank you so much for tuning in. Greatly appreciate your time. Hawks play again on Thursday. See if we can get James in here to do a post game. I know he's crazy busy right now with all the COVID news and everything else going on. But uh, one way or another, we'll be back soon with a longer full-length episode. But we appreciate your support. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Fry the Coop, Triple Threat Sports, and by the Sinsin Law Group. I'm Amira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.